The rules we grew up with were never meant for us. It's time for a change. Welcome to Becoming Wild. This podcast will support you in untethering from conditioning, examining limiting beliefs around womanhood and value, and tapping into your innate power. Because when women embody our truest, wildest selves, we change much more than our own lives. We change the world. I'm your host, Emma Wittard. Hello, welcome to episode six of Becoming Wild. I'm your host, Emma Wittard, and I'm coming to you today from a very rainy Pasadena, California. This is our third episode dedicated to beliefs. Our beliefs are the stories that we're given by our families and society when we're young, and they're often the things we need to get out from underneath of in order to live our happiest, most useful, fulfilling lives. Today's show is focused on an interview with an amazing friend of mine. She lives from a place of self-compassion and integrity, and I know that she's had a whole journey to get here. But before we get to that, let's see what wild question has dropped into my inbox this week. It's a short one this time. Elle writes, Dear Emma, how can you work with your beliefs to build your self-esteem? Thanks for this question, Elle. Building self-esteem is a process and a practice. Examining your beliefs can definitely be part of that. You could start by excavating your beliefs about yourself to see what is or isn't serving you. This could be a simple journaling exercise. Set a timer for three minutes and use the prompt, I believe that I am. Then write out a list of everything that comes up for you. Try to keep writing unedited for the full three minutes and keep going if things are still coming out of your pen. You want to empty out. Then go back over each sentence and give it a score out of 10 for emotional weight. A 10 means that you feel it strongly and a 1 means that you don't have an emotional response to the statement at all. Then cross out anything below an 8. Look at the statements you have left. Is there one that resonates most strongly or a theme that runs through several of them? A big clue is if it makes you tear up or feel nauseous. If there's a belief that makes you feel like that, then it's probably a central one that you might want to work with. An example of a limiting belief that affects self-esteem would be, I am not enough. Spend some time thinking about the way that this belief affects your life. This could be painful. You might want to write about it. Some ways that a not enough story could affect you might be always feeling that you have to be perfect, continually striving for validation at work or in relationships, needing to accumulate more and more stuff, always doing things for other people and not thinking of yourself, 
and or very negative self-talk about your appearance, character and abilities. Then, when you've figured out the ways this belief is showing up in your life, turn the belief around. What would the opposite belief be? It might be, I am enough, or I'm more than enough. Then think about what your life would be like if you were able to believe the new belief. How would your life be different? Write about that. Then look for evidence in your life of how you are already enough. Can you find some ways that this new belief is true? Then I would invite you to begin to practice the new belief. What would someone who believes that they are enough do? Do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone you like and respect who seems to believe this? How do they behave? Can you take a couple of those behaviours and begin to practice them for yourself? This is one of the many ways that you can tackle self-esteem. Every coaching session on this podcast addresses self-esteem in some way. So I invite you to listen and then do the journal prompts I put in the show notes. The books that I recommend there also help you to practice self-esteem and it is a practice. I hope that helps. Sending you lots of love. Let me know if you have more questions. Before I get to today's interview, a content warning. We talk about Christianity in the context of harm and also infertility. If either of these subjects is triggering for you, you may want to skip this episode or not. Please take what is useful to you and leave the rest. And now on to my guest. Stephanie Jenkins is a soul companion, educator and sacred space holder. She is passionate about deepening our relationship to our own embodied wisdom, our connection to sacred earth, and our participation with divine mystery. Through one-to-one soul guidance, as well as community gatherings and courses, Stephanie holds a safe and inviting container for women to break free from the cultural conditioning that's kept us tame so that we might connect to our inherent belonging, revel in the goodness of our bodies, and unfurl into the true shape of our souls. Stephanie lives with her beloved partner of 20 years in Northeast Los Angeles, where she shares her love of words and stories as an English teacher in the public schools. In addition to making big creative messes and banging on her drum, Stephanie enjoys weekly wanders in the San Gabriel Mountains, where she's learning to fall in love with the many wild others who also call this land home. And Stephanie is a dear, dear friend of mine. We share a mission to help women to connect to themselves. And she's the wildest woman I know. Stephanie Jenkins, welcome to Becoming Wild. How are you today? Oh, so, so nourished by 
the opportunity to get to meet with you, my dear and wild friend, and share this conversation and see where it takes us. Yay. Cool. Okay. So I know that our listeners are going to be really curious about this phrase, soul companion. Can you give a little bit of detail for them as to what a soul companion is? Yes. Thank you for that question. So as a soul companion, my lens is really looking at what is most deeply true, orienting people to their inner wisdom, believing that we are already whole and holy just as we are, and that we know what we need best, um, but sometimes we need a little bit of guidance to unearth that wisdom. So soul companionship is an opportunity to be held by a safe and loving presence and really listen for the threads of the sacred, uh, listening for what is most deeply true um, for the wisdom of our intuition, the the knowing of our, our bodies, and the imagery and symbolism of our own soulscape. The soul speaks in the language of metaphor, the language of symbol. So really taking the time to excavate those beautiful soul images that we all carry deep inside of us and see how they might inform our our life out in the world, looking to integrate who we are on the deepest sense of our being with how we express and participate in in the life that we're living beautifully said (laughs) you know that you are speaking my language deeply deeply here I love what you do and having experienced one of your circles I know that you do this in in various different wonderful ways and your your knowledge of mythology and literature and the wonderful color that you bring to these subjects is just so it's just really enriching I know I love it I find it Mm -hmm. fascinating and whenever I spend time with you I feel very nourished my soul is happy when when we hang out (laughs) (laughs) likewise I'm so grateful that our paths crossed and we're actually at the one-year anniversary of our wild friendship I didn't realize that. Yeah, it feels really auspicious to get to have this conversation today. And also just, you know, we have a hurricane that has visited us in our our area. So I feel the blessing of creation of Mother Earth just nourishing us with her amazing gift of rain in abundance, right? Yes. Talk about wild. It feels like such a a wonderful way to spend the afternoon inside with the rain outside and having this conversation with you. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Hurricane Hillary. And hopefully she'll be tropical storm Hillary by the time she gets to us. It's an atmospheric day, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. So what I would love, if if you don't mind, is... These, this is the last in a series of episodes around beliefs. Mm. And I know, because I know you, the way you live your life now 
is different from how you were raised. Yes. Um, So we talk a lot about getting out from under the beliefs that we developed as kids or that we inherited from our families or ancestors. So I'd really love for you to tell us what I call your wild story. How did you become the wild, wonderful woman you are today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a big question. (laughs) (laughs) I know you can tell us a story, Stephanie. Tell us a story. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I feel like um, sensing kind of two threads. I, I grew up in a a conservative Christian family um, and religious tradition here in Southern California. And I also see a little bit of wildness in my parents, uh, even, in that, even in those constructs. My dad was always someone who wanted to live authentically and made choices for his vocation based on what was true for him rather than what was maybe prudent or financially responsible or uh, expected. Mm -hmm. And then my mom, she was a stay-at-home mom, but she also knew how to do a lot of things that women, you know, traditionally don't know how to do. So she could fix a toilet, she could fix a car, she could just take care of any number of household projects. And so she really had this kind of can-do attitude that that went against the grain, even as she was conforming to a lot of the social standards um, of her time. So there's there's the seeds of wildness from my parents. <laughs> yeah, the gifts, the gifts that they give us, as well as the as well as the conformity that mm-hmm. that they sometimes give us. There are always gifts. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's important to recognize both, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to to yeah. know the complexity and the nuance of our story that most of the time it's not one flavor. Um, mm-hmm. and to to paint a black and white picture is, is just not that interesting. So, but even still, I am the oldest of four children and I definitely fell into this mentality of, of conformity, of really wanting to do what I was told and be a very, very good girl. Mm-hmm. So I yes. A straight A student all through school. Um, my dad was a pastor of a church growing up, and so I was a good pastor's daughter, a leader in our church congregation, and just really wanting to do what what I was told was right. So I was marching to the beat of the social norms, marching to um, the beat of everybody else's drum, but my own, you know, I really didn't know how to listen to myself. I didn't know what I wanted. And in fact, I think what I learned was that my worth was tied to how much I could give myself away to other people. Mm, Yes. When did you realize that? When did I realize that that was my belief? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think that that 
way of being worked for me for a good number of years, uh, even though it was costing me a lot, uh, even though I was giving myself away and as a result, ignoring my own body's wisdom and needs and dismissing my own creativity, uh, resisting my own emotions, distrusting my longings, even though all those things were true, it was still working for me uh, in terms of I was successful. I was, you know, made teacher of the year in my career as a teacher. I was respected as a leader in my church. I was given a lot of accolades for mm. being a good girl. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until the death of my brother, actually, in my early 20s. My my brother Nathan died of a traumatic accident uh, when he was 18 and I was 23. And it was really that devastating loss that threw everything into question yeah, and made me take a step back and realize that following the rules and doing what I was told was was not going to protect me. It was yeah. not going to protect me from suffering. Um, and all of a sudden, everything that had held my life together just felt so hollow because I couldn't, I couldn't escape the pain. I couldn't escape um, my own experience. Mm. I could no longer play along because I was just bowled over by my own grief. Mm. And yeah. so it put, it put the, the way of being that I had uh, ascribed to into question and into chaos and any, any notions that I had of certainty were just washed away. Mm. Yes. And how, did that then manifest as uncertainty? How did the this sense of no longer being able to play along and and understanding that you weren't protected from the pain of life? How did that play out for you then over the years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like it. Well, it forced me to confront myself in a way that I, I had not been willing to, um, to really listen to what I needed and to what was happening within myself, mm. because I had been listening to everyone else besides myself, you know, except yes. for myself. Um, and that was no longer an option in the face of such a, a tremendous loss and life altering loss. And Sometimes we don't know what we believe until until it's until it's challenged. Yes. And I was a privileged white woman um, who could get away with playing by the rules and 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 be okay, right? To to be rewarded enough. It was costing me, but it was also it was also um, benefiting me. And so I had this sort of Santa Claus notion about the divine, you know, like yes. if I am a very good girl, then I will get what I want. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love the way you put that, a Santa Claus notion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought of God as 
the white patriarchal god god version as santa claus but i hadn't made the connection of course of yes if you're good mm-hmm. you get a reward and if you're bad you get the sack of coal yeah exactly exactly yeah. it's such a problematic worldview mm-hmm. um, because there are so many people who get the sack of coal mm-hmm. um, because of the systems that oppress mm-hmm. um, but uh, from a pre- place of privilege, we can pretend like it's earned or deserved. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so when when this loss came into my life and my brother died, um, it just unraveled that. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. a conscious belief that I had, mm-hmm. but I was wrestling. Like, how could this happen to me? How could this happen yes. to me and my family? And I've been, you know, so faithful and my dad's a pastor and we've been doing all the right things. And how could this happen to us? Um, and so I feel like I was initiated into a bigger story, one where there isn't this black and white, good, bad binary that that we are given under the patriarchal worldview, but rather so much more nuance and so much more mystery. And stepping into that mystery was terrifying, but also it was expansive and freeing. And I learned to come home to myself and Mm -hmm. to remember my belonging, not as something that I needed to earn or something that I needed to prove, but as inherent to who I am as a daughter of earth, as a human being on this planet, that my existence is enough. Listen to the divine as something that lives inside of me rather than something that is external that I'm reaching and searching for that all actually it's already within yes hallelujah <laughs> speaking <laughs> my, so speaking my language mm-hmm. okay so for our listeners i work with so many people who want to come home to themselves mm-hmm. how did you learn to come home to yourself it's such a a journey i feel of unraveling. And as I said, you know, my brother's death was the first push. It was not a choice. It was a push off off the edge and into the darkness. And then a few years later, I was trying to get pregnant and was diagnosed with unexplained infertility. And so there was more loss and there was more mystery because it wasn't something that our wonderful, advanced medical field could provide any answers for. Um, And that's actually true for about 25% of people who struggle with infertility. It's it's a mystery. It's unexplained. And it was really painful for me to, again, have this desire, this longing to be a mother, this plan for my life that I could not make happen. And the in the manner that I wanted with all of the interventions and all the trying. So for me, and I think this is true for a lot of people, there is um, a surrendering to loss, to um, a loss of our 
illusion that we are somehow in control of our lives and control of, of what is happening yes. um, while simultaneously stepping into our own power. And it's such a beautiful paradox. Yes. This idea of recognizing that um, our plans, our agendas, our notions of, of what our lives are going to look like are really lovely, but not, not actually in our, our hands. And also we have so much power. We have so much sovereignty and agency. Um, and so riding that line, that edge of surrendering into what is, so learning to love the life that I have um, and fully taking up the life that I have mm. um, with uh, my longing, with my grief, with my desire, with my gifting, with my voice, you know, these aspects of myself that I worked really hard to um, shape into a particular version of self that I thought was palatable to the powers that be around me yeah. um, and, and really finding my own voice. And so the grief was the first, I think, expression of that, that, that voice in its rawest form. No sugarcoating grief. Yes. <laughs> it takes you down to uh, the essence of, yeah. of, of what is and, giving myself permission to move into this emotion, this emotional landscape that is, um, it's very taboo in our culture. Yes. Um, there's not a lot of room to make big noises and to have snotty tears and, mm -hmm. you know, to really, uh, vocalize, um, the grief, but I felt like I didn't have a choice. It was just so, it was so large. Yeah. Um, and it was a gift for many reasons, but one, because I inhabited my voice in, in pureness and in its rawness for probably the first time in years. Um, you know, maybe since I was like a very small child and, and, knew how to do that without conditioning, but that, that freedom of emotionality uh, was, was something that I lost really, really early on. Mm. Um, and I was unlocked by mm. my own grief. It, it mm. set me free in a way that I'm not sure what, how else could, that was my story anyway. Yes. I love the phrase you used. I was unlocked by my grief. Yeah. I think we do, as a society, have a very unhealthy relationship with grief, this idea that you've got to kind of push it down and get past it and get over it. And, you know, Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about how we get, grow through, through the pain and hardship of life. That's how we, we don't wish it. Of course we don't. But these things give us do give us gifts mm -hmm. um Absolutely. it's the crucible and and that is where if we're open to it we learn and grow and become more truly ourselves yeah mm -hmm. yes. 
So, so you had these experiences, these very intense experiences that are full of grief. How did, so you were a teacher, Mm -hmm. how did this awakening manifest itself in your outer life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first thing, well, I guess after, after the the voice, finding the voice of, of grief and unlocking my raw emotionality. Um, the the next thing would be learning to say no. Mm-hmm. Learning also. to say no is so powerful <laughs> because I did not have that word in my vocabulary. You know, so many of us, uh, especially as white cisgendered women, were socialized to be people pleasers and to say yes, to be as amenable to others as possible. And so I was very good at saying yes. If, if you asked me to be on a committee, if you asked me to volunteer for you know some event, uh, I would say yes, because I thought that was, that was my ticket to, to being good and to finding my belonging in the world. And I had to say no, because I did not have the capacity to be with anything extra. I really needed space around myself. And there was permission. I found permission for myself in my grief um, that I, I hadn't had before. Permission to say, no, that actually is not going to be life-giving for me right now. No, I don't have the energy for that. And I got really good at saying no because I needed that protection around my my energy and around my life force. Yeah. And after moving through the process of healing and coming out on the other side of the rawness of the grief into integration, I I didn't give up the no. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like, oh, wow, I actually really like having this space for myself to do what I want to do instead of what other people want me to do. Um, And another big piece was uh, finding my own creativity. And so a big part of my healing journey through through these these different losses was was painting and collaging Mm -hmm. and that was something I had loved to do as a child, but I had given it up because it's not quote unquote productive, mm. um, but it was such a powerful vehicle to uh, give my feelings a place to land. And again, it was that feeling of being unlocked. Like this is such a integral part of who I am. Yeah. Um, that I, I had forgotten. I had forgotten this language that I, I know how to speak that's innate to who I am as, as a human being. And I feel like is innate to all of us in some way. We all have our ways of, of being creative, of expressing ourselves, um, whether that's through our gardening or through our friendship making or through our art making, our songs, our, our vocations. We're all creative beings, yeah. but we lose that through the beliefs that we have around what 
is palatable, what is uh, acceptable, what is beautiful even you know my yeah. my grief art was really dark it was very yeah. it was very gritty and raw and just not something that i would have ever made because mm -hmm. it was you know full of bugs and bones and blood and all these, yeah. these images of, of death because that was where i was and to have permission to go into those taboo places because that was actually the truth of my experience that created a lot of freedom, a lot of permission to go elsewhere as well, to take my creativity, not just into the depths of darkness, but into other places as well. Once I, I was able to heal. Yeah. I think society again has, has done a number on us telling us that the aim is to be happy all the time. Right. There's a terror of, fear, anger, you know, it's not allowed, it's not to be, mm -hmm. it's not to be quote unquote indulged. Mm -hmm. And and we're robbing ourselves of the full extent of the human experience. Mm -hmm. There is beauty in grief. There is there is so much that's valuable in grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah so much and every lament is a love song mm -hmm. exactly because it's about what you value it's about what you care about we don't grieve for things that didn't mean something to us yeah and i feel like that therein is the power you know if mm -hmm. if if we were really free to to grieve what we love and to love what we love, mm -hmm. right? First, you have to love what you love in order to grieve what you love. Yeah. Um, that would really radically change things. We are in a, a climate crisis because we've we've been taught not to love this planet that we live on. You know, yes. we've been taught to treat her like a resource, mm -hmm. a commodity, something to consume. Like a woman. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's such parallel. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So totally agree with you. And every single person I speak to, people who identify as men included, always tell me that they feel their most spiritual and happiest in nature. So mm -hmm. inherently, and unconsciously, we haven't lost the connection. No. But it's just been terribly, terribly conditioned out of us and covered up by the messaging that we've got. And yeah, that's what allows us to destroy it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. And, and we are destroying ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's such a it's such a macrocosm our relationship with our our planet is such a macrocosm to our individual stories and our relationship to ourselves and how we we replicate those patterns of domination and destruction in our own relationships with our own bodies and with our own um aspects, right? Like our own wildness. We yes. are taught to be afraid 
of that which is wild, both in, in the wilderness of the earth, but in the wilderness of our own souls. Yes, absolutely. And there's a, there's a saying in coaching, how you do anything is how you do everything. It's so, so true. Um, I'm, I'm really glad you talked about creativity as well. Again, as you say, humans are actually creative beings. We can't really help ourselves. It's, it's part of who we are. And a lot of my clients have something that they love to do that's deeply creative that they're not doing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's the productive story. Oh, it's not productive. Mm-hmm. Even my client on this podcast we just had a conversation about productivity and how it's a killer of creativity and joy, basically this belief that we have to be productive all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what I find with clients is that the window into their connection to their own soul is usually through creativity and nature. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was certainly my experience. I think the other thing that carried me out of that season of grief and into my own integrated wildness was spending time in nature. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand it, but I was I was starving. I was starving for time in the wild and not going on hikes for exercise, but just being embraced by the earth. Yeah. And connecting to this bigger story of wind and rain and sun and soil and wild others, how many different ways there are to be alive on this planet, you know, looking at the flora and the fauna. Um, my very, very first wander that I did, I, I burnt myself out at work and I had to take a couple of days off mm-hmm. um, because I was just at my at the end of my sanity. And for five days, I just, I went into the local mountains and just spent hours doing nothing. (laughs) And my very first wanderer, I encountered a bear on the trail. Um, And I had never seen a bear in our local area before. I knew that they were there, but I'd never experienced that. And just this slow ambling (laughs) of this large creature and just the dedication to eating and getting fat (laughs) Um, and her ambivalence to me, you know, she could care less that I was there. She was just Mm -hmm. in her own world, um, just trusting her power to be able to take care of herself, you know, not even worried about anything happening to her because she knew she was fierce. She's large. It was such medicine to me to see this one who was committed to just being alive in her fullness and not collecting berries for somebody else. <laughs> Actually, not worrying about her waistline. Exactly. <laughs> So I learned so much and um, I didn't understand it at the time. You know, I I was confused by it because we are, we are socialized out of our relationship with 
nature. We're taught that we're separate. And so I was confused by this hunger I had to be in the wild. Um, Mm. But luckily my hunger was, was larger than my confusion. So I just went with it and, um, and was nourished. And now I, I know that that was my path home, not only Mm. to myself, but to a larger story. I think that's something that we we need so badly um, as individuals, but also collectively is to remember our participation in a bigger story that our lives are our own, but they're also so deeply connected to this web of being on our planet. Um, And when we can see that inherent connection, that inherent belonging to the song of creation. Um, There's just so much joy and so much freedom and so much peace that comes from um, remembering our place in the world, that we do have a place and it, it, and it just is. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I also feel similarly about nature and the mountains it's it's a it is a pull of the heart and body it's my entire body Mm. needs to be in the mountains needs to be surrounded by the trees and the and the flowers and the animals and feel the wind on my skin and the earth under my feet and it's it's a real need and again, like you, I didn't know what it was to start with. Mm. It was just this sort of compulsion and I and I went with it. And now I recognize it as it's a spiritual practice. And it's also a physical need. It makes me realize I, I lived in London for a very long time. I lived in London for 16 years. And particularly in the summer, I used to get this really desperate sort of miserable longing feeling Mm. and I didn't know what it was and now I know I desperately needed nature and countryside I used to go home back to the Cotswolds which are very beautiful and hilly and green as much as I could and I thought it was to see my friends and family now I recognize a lot of it was about just needing to be in green places Mm mm-hmm yeah 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 okay so i'm keeping with the story (laughs) we're getting to you you're you're discovering your your need and your love and your self-expression through creativity and being out in nature um what's your relationship with santa claus god at this point (laughs) Santa Claus God and I (laughs) that just that just didn't work out that ended with (laughs) that ended with the death of my brother um yeah yeah I I feel like my relationship with the divine has just gotten more mysterious and more wild over the course of the years, I have always been a a deeply spiritual person. You know, I I have numinous memories from childhood of just feeling myself connected and loved Mm -hmm. um, by the divine. 
from the time I was really, really young. Mm. And so that's been an important part of who I am. Mm. And that was couched in this conservative evangelical Christian upbringing, uh, which was a, a good container for me for most of my life in many ways. Um, there was a lot of love there, a lot of song, a lot of community. Um, and there was also the trappings of belief. I know that's the theme of this podcast at the moment is, is our yes. beliefs. And in that cultural context, belief equaled belonging. Yeah. You belong because you believe the right things. And mm -hmm. spirituality was reduced in a lot of ways to dogma. Um, and so this hunger that I had for intimacy and connection um, was really uh, mired in mm -hmm. doctrine and dogma. And it was confusing for me because I was both finding nourishment for my hunger in certain ways and also feeling the limits, right? Feeling how yes. I was constrained and, and constantly the, the further along I got on my journey of life, the, the, the more I felt constrained and, and felt like I was trying to fit into a box mm. that I just couldn't fit into anymore. Um, yeah. So yeah, I feel like my spirituality, you know, soul companionship comes out of, um, the tradition of, of spiritual direction, which is something my dad is as a, as a pastor and as a leader. And that's part of the Christian tradition is this idea of, of being someone who holds sacred space for uh, the soul's becoming under this umbrella of Christianity. And I was trying to make that work for so long, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there just came a point where the more I followed my own, my own knowing and the wisdom of my own body, the, the less, uh, the less space there was to, to try to fit it into the box. And so, yeah. uh, yeah, I feel like I was initiated into mystery into, um, into what is unknowable and unnameable and also so deeply true and personal and close uh, and imminent. Yeah. Um, and so there is this, again, paradox of um, stepping into a spirituality that refuses, <laughs> refuses to be tied down to dogma and doctrine. Mm. And yet uh, feels so much more true. Mm, yes. The truth beyond words. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know it. You feel it in your body. It's, mm -hmm. it's uh, yeah, absolutely. One of, I have many issues with Christianity. <laughs> Two of my issues are that you know this idea that you have to go through a middleman there's a priest there's right. the pope you know there's this whole hierarchy mm -hmm. of people all men by the way traditionally exactly. you have to get through to get to god yes. um and that god is this thing that's outside of you yes um so this separation that christianity 
tends to create in us. And then this other, the other issue for me, biggest issue being that women are not equal in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the mother, the daughter, and the Holy Spirit is quite often what we'll say in this house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that women, that Eve caused the fall and mm-hmm. women were not allowed to be priests for a long time and still aren't allowed to be in certain certain types mm-hmm. of Christianity. So yes, and I'm with you. What I've what I have awakened to or come back to during my life, you know, having been there more as a child, it is this wonderful feeling of being held. Mm. And when we make direct connection with the divine, this sense of just tremendous love. I I've had the feeling of it's almost like being surrounded by 80,000 people. It's like a rock concert of love, but you can't see anybody else. It's, it's incredible. Mm. Um, and most people don't know that's available to them, that it's actually within them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. God, I think. Yeah. yeah. There, there's such a, um, there's so many ways that we have been wounded by the lie of separation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That we are separated from the earth, like we talked about, that somehow humans are, are not <laughs> connected to nature and then separated from the divine, that, that, that the divine is outside of us. Um, that's something that we need to go find elsewhere and look for a leader, look for a guru, look for a priest to, to lead you because you can't trust your own lived experience. And, and these are all these acts of separation from that, which is inherently true. Um, they serve, they serve the structures of power. They serve the structures of domination um, if we are standing in our in our own knowing, in our own inherent connection to the earth and to the divine, what power is ours, right? What um, choice, what uh, participation? But when we believe the lie that we're separate, we're we're lonely and we're weak, you know, mm-hmm. um, or at least that's our experience of ourselves because uh, we don't stand on we can't stand on our own authority and we, we don't have the authority of, of mama earth or you know the divine behind us. So it's yeah. like, it's so interesting to, to see how, you know, the last 4,000 years, our culture has just been so indoctrinated and in all these systems of oppression of patriarchy and white supremacy and we're all living those beliefs, whether we know it or not. So untangling, untangling ourselves from those beliefs is not only healing for ourselves, but it's healing for the whole. Yes. Everybody is going to be better off if we can get free from these uh, beliefs of, um, of the, 
power over paradigms that have dominated for so long. Yes, I completely agree. I blame the Romans. I have a very big problem with them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) They definitely brought uh, empire and, yeah, changed the whole face of Christianity. (laughs) Stamped out all the the women's wisdom in Europe. So, yeah, lots of problems there. (laughs) Yes, they were the big issue for me. Okay, so staying with our story, Mm. how did you then, what was the journey from your own personal awakening Mm. to then starting to work with other people to help them awaken these things in themselves? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I was showing up to my own journey for a good decade and I took a, a year-long program um, called Seminary of the Wild, mm-hmm. um, and the word wild was my word for the year. And so this, this uh, program just called to me, and it was all about deepening into um, our spirituality in relationship to Earth. And it was so beautiful, and it was through that cocoon of being held in community and in practice that I felt this calling bubbling up inside of me. I felt this need to step out um, and offer my gifts. I had been um, nourishing myself like that bear for Mm -hmm. a good number of years. And uh, there was just this sense in November of 2020. I mean, it sounds very cheesy when I say it out loud, but I had this buzzing, this buzzing in my soul, this just energy rippling through my body. And the words that came was, it's time, time to put out your shingle. Mm-hmm. If you build it, they will come mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> from the field of dreams. Yes. <laughs> and I just trusted that, um, trusted that instinct I did a listening circle with some uh, soul friends at the time and had them hold space for what was emerging. And they asked me really good questions. And um, and so the first thing that I offered was a six-week course on sacred menstruation, on uh, reclaiming our, our blood and our cyclical bodies as mm-hmm. sacred and as um, a pattern for living wholly and creatively and um, in sync with our own embodied wisdom. And it was really edgy for me, you know, the menstrual cycle is so taboo, but I had done so much reclamation with my own cycle of menstruation because, you know, infertility, it was really painful to get my blood Mm. every month and feel the grief of of not being able to have a child. And I had to come into a new relationship with my blood and with my body, um, even as it wasn't functioning in this particular way that I I desired. And so through my own reclamation of that part of my story, um, I offered that into the world. And so that was the first thing. And then just following the thread, I had many people who had spoken over me that, you know, 
holding one-on-one sacred space was a gift that I had. And Mm. so trusting that. And I think a big part for me is this archetype of the priestess. Mm -hmm. You know, you brought in, yes, you brought in the priest. And I think that, that, that archetype is so tied up in the, in the, patriarchal masculine, right? This idea that you are a priest because you are given authority by an institution. Mm -hmm. And because of the authority of the institution, then you get to be the middleman between God and lay people. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, the priestess is this wild feminine that is really needed to balance out that masculine or the way that we've done the masculine for so long where she is, she's, she is given authority because she just is right. Like it it comes from her own sovereignty. It comes from her own relationship and devotion to her story. Um, and she is not a middle person. She's there to hold sacred space for other people to step into their spiritual truth and gifting. And that can look so many different ways. And so that archetype has been really important to me. It was a word from my own soul that I mm. needed to step out into the world in this priestess role and not as someone who is who knows any more than anybody else, but who is simply willing to hold sacred space and to participate in the wild dance of creation and to invite others into that playful participation. And so that that informs what I do. Yeah. I'm really passionate about the one-on-one work that I do. It's just, I feel like there's so much power in simply holding space. When we set intention to meet ourselves in our naked rawness and honesty, and there is someone that can hold the riverbanks, what rushes in is so beautiful and moving and true. And each person has their own innate wisdom and to be a front row seat to that unfurling, that unfolding is just magic. Yes. It's so beautiful. So yeah, it, it was a risk. You know, it it was a jumping off the the edge. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I went down to part-time status as my work as a teacher. Mm-hmm. So I have a foot in the institutional world still where I'm mm-hmm. um, making part of my living off of that. And then I have this uh, priestess role that I'm mm-hmm. also cultivating and, and nurturing over the last mm-hmm. three years. And knowing you and experiencing your work to some degree, I, oh yes, you're such a priestess. You are totally a priestess, <laughs> 100%. Um, it's also an archetype that I identify with as well and and very consciously um work with that energy for myself my favorite conversations with clients are spiritual conversations Mm. my favorite thing to do yeah and I think that that's that's the 
That's the freedom that we're called to step into. I think all of us is that there is no separation between the sacred and the secular, you know, like mm-hmm. that it's all, it's all holy. It's all sacred. The, mm-hmm. the divine is pulsing through all of us in all, yes. things, you know, all the time. Um, so it, we don't have to call it by any type of words. It just simply is. And can yeah. we tap into that flow um, in our own way, mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. way that is authentic to us? Because uh, we have just too many cookie cutter molds and mm-hmm. yes. we need diversity. We need multivocality. We need uh we need a riot of different voices to shake up the sameness that mm-hmm. has stifled all of us mm-hmm. and forced Absolutely. us to live into expressions of self that are just too small. Yes, 100%. So how has, I know I'm, I know we're getting short of time, but I just, I loved, I would, I could talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> How has your relationship to yourself as a woman changed? I know it's such a big question, but in like three sentences, (laughs) not difficult at all. How has your relationship to yourself as a woman changed over this Mm. lifelong journey? Mm, Yeah, that really is such an important question. There was no space for my femaleness Mm -hmm. in the context that I grew up in. Mm. Um, My femaleness was a problem. Yeah. And it made me less than. Mm -hmm. It made me less than my brothers. It made me less than the leaders of the church, you know, as someone who is wired for the sacred. I wasn't allowed to step into those roles in the context that I grew up in. And so I had this sense of leadership and and calling and no examples of that and no spaces where that was allowed. Mm. Um, And the messaging that my female body was uh, a temptation to others and Mm -hmm. was and problematic and shameful and should be covered up. And I mean, just all of those uh, messages that are so common in um, the patriarchy and especially in a conservative Christian upbringing. And so my relationship to myself as a woman, um, I feel like I am the first woman in my lineage who can stand on her own two feet, who can stand in her worth without the backing of a man, mm-hmm. without the role of being a mother and without the um, uh, authority of the church, that those three things, marriage, motherhood, and church have really been what have protected women in my, in my ancestry. Um, Mm. that has been where you can find your belonging and, you know, slowly I, I've lost those things. Like I lost motherhood. Um, Christianity no longer felt like a, 
a place where I could call home. And then this last year, I'm, I'm, I'm still married, but this last year, my marriage totally unraveled. Mm. Um, we went through such a profound um, recalibration of our relationship to the point where we didn't know if it was going to make it. Um, and we did separate for a, a good few months as we tried to sort through things, but yeah. it was caught up in the trappings of of the cultural context, um, mm -hmm. which we had been married, you know, 20 years ago when we were fresh out of college and, you know, still very much in this, uh, conservative mentality and that just didn't fit anymore. And so, uh, reimagining our relationship with each other and that I didn't realize, but was such a big part of my womanhood, you know, mm. what does it mean to be a woman without a man, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, unfortunately has not been an option for, for many women for, for many years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You're somebody's daughter, you're somebody's wife, you're somebody's mother. Yeah. Um, so to me, uh, being a wild woman is, is stepping into my sovereignty, um, to be able to stand as myself and let my own, existence be my worth in the world, mm -hmm. not what I do and not who I am connected to, but simply the fact that I am. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it so much. It makes me so happy. Okay. So this is, I don't know. I don't know whether there's anywhere you would like to get wilder in your life, but this is the question if at all, where in your life would you like to be even wilder? Hmm. Yeah. All the ways. <laughs> okay. I really hope I get to witness all the ways that you become even wilder. I, I feel like, um, you know, one of the one of the symbols that's really important to me, and I know it's part of this podcast, um, it's your logo, is the is the spiral. Mm. And it's such an important symbol because we're given this model of life that is linear, mm. like yes. a ladder that you climb up, 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 and maybe you arrive at some point and then you're happily ever after. Mm. And that model is, is that model of infinite progress is what is really hurting our planet and all of us. Um, and if we look at nature, she dances in a spiral. Absolutely. And so we're constantly repeating the seasons of the year the summer into autumn into winter into spring and back again and yet every time it's it's a new song it's a new story um and so it's both familiar and it's new and i feel like that is the that is the path of the wild soul is is dancing the spiral that we're going to come to the same lesson again the same perhaps belief or the same area of um, domesticity or tameness mm -hmm. 
And we're going to think, oh, but I already, <laughs> I've already been here. I already did some, you know, deconditioning and, and rewilding. And yet there will be more. Mm. And so I'm excited about that. Yes. I, I feel so much permission and freedom to be where I am, to enjoy where I am, and to know that there is no arrival, right? Mm. There's only these deepening layers of expansion and becoming. And I will I will turn as the earth turns into something familiar and something new. Mm. Um, and there will be that essence of deja vu, <laughs> which can be frustrating, but mm-hmm. also this um, new opportunity to uh, uncover something that I I haven't yet and to um, find a new place in my own soulscape that I didn't know was there or a new expression of my voice or an old belief that uh, needs to be composted. Um, So I think that that spiral dance is such a beautiful way to continue this process of wilding. Yes. Yes. So beautifully said as always. Yes. I remember reading that linear thinking began with the written word Mm. and that before that point you know even even the way that we expressed ourselves in cave paintings etc was um, pictorial so we for most of our existence we have not been linear thinkers you know, if if Homo sapiens has been around for a hundred thousand years, we navigated th- through our intuition, and um, yeah, we used symbols and pictures, mm-hmm. and and the written word is a relatively modern thing, as is science, right? Uh, yeah. So I I found that very interesting. I'm glad you like the spirals. <laughs> yeah those spirals the becoming wild spirals that's a the triple spiral that is twenty five thousand years old at least and it's pre-celtic beautiful wow um one of the oldest certainly one of the oldest symbols in the west Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's been used to represent so many things. To me, it's absolutely the spiral dance, the cycles of life, uh, maiden mother crone. Yeah, it has birth, life, death. Mm-hmm. It was appropriated for Christianity for a while mm-hmm. as well as um, the Holy Trinity. Yeah, uh, it's it's a uh, it's a pretty cool symbol, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I am looking forward to to witnessing your ever increasing wildness. I feel feel very privileged to to be able to witness that. Thank you for hanging out with me today, Stephanie. Oh, my joy! I'm so grateful for for you as a coach in the world and also as a friend of my own soul and the chances that we have to be wild together and wander in the beautiful mountains that we love. Yes. 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 Stephanie and I 
we'll often do a lovely hike together and I always feel like I've learned something when I'm with you and my soul is 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 nurtured and held it's absolutely wonderful so can you please tell our listeners where they can find you how they can get hold of you and how they can work with you yeah thank you for that opportunity yeah, so my website is uh, stephaniejoyjenkins.com. And I also am on Instagram, although I'm blanking on my handle. I think it's okay. at Jenkins, um, but that'll be in the show notes. So It will be in the show notes. <laughs> um. And then I work with people one-on-one. I have a few openings right now for soul companionship. So you can check that out on my website. I also have a free guide there about creating your own sacred ritual. So I believe all of us are asked to play in the sacred. And I think ritual is one fun way of, of doing that. So it's a really accessible guide to marking the moment and stepping into your own portal of uh sacredness to honor a change or a transition or just celebrate something or, or grieve something. So it's a really beautiful guidebook that helps you to create your own sacred ritual. And then I'm hoping to offer some courses. Uh, Rewilding the Feminine Soul uh, is my signature course about uh, yeah deconditioning from the patriarchy and stepping into our embodied wisdom, our intuition and unfurling into the true shape of our soul. So if you join my newsletter, you can be the first to know when that opens up. And then I I want to plug something else that I'm just birthing into the world. I'm really excited Ooh. about. Um, it's called Red and it is a four week period journey for girls uh, <gasps> and yes. 14 years old. Yeah. So um, stay tuned for that. There'll be the, the link will be in the show notes, but um, it's just, it's, it's about to be launched. So I'm so excited to be able to change the narrative around menstruation at the onset of menstruation. So that's fantastic. When you have all the details, I would like to put it in my newsletter as well because absolutely. that's absolutely huge. That is huge. We need yeah, it so badly. We, we need it so badly. Our our blood is such a beautiful part of who we are. And it's um the the shame that is, you know, around that. It's changing, but uh, mm-hmm. we need to have a new story for our daughters. So yes. I'm excited to to be birthing that soon. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, that's it for the show. Thank you to my wonderful guest, Stephanie Jenkins, for sharing her wisdom with us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Okay, that's it. Boom! (laughs) Coming Wild is a podcast written and produced by me, Emma Whittard. Special thanks go to Andrea Lida Wilborn, Sean Dennis, Jill Smolin, and Dean and De Silva. You can get more information about the show and other ways to experience my work at www.emmawittard.com. Please subscribe to Becoming Wild on your favorite podcast app and give us lots of lovely stars. 
It will make a huge difference to the discoverability of the show. If you'd like more direct coaching from me, please consider joining my Wild Woman community, where I post new content every few days and coach in the comments. And we have live coaching sessions every Friday. Or contact me to explore one-to-one coaching. If you have a question about what we covered today or anything else you'd like some support over, you can email me at info at subject line wild questions. And I might just respond on the show. You'll be anonymous, of course. All of this information is in the show notes. Thank you for listening. You matter. What you do matters. And when a woman truly knows that, she changes the world. See you next time on Becoming Wild.